What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by one of my favorite baseball writers. It's Dan Zimbersky of Fangraphs.com, a site that I read every single day. So if you are not reading it every day, what are you doing? Because baseball's back. Dan, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Chase? I'm great. You were before you got started. You were fired up. You were energetic. I'm I'm a fan because I never know how things are going to go with new guests because. Um, you know, you just never know. You read their work, but you don't know how they're going to be on a podcast. So I'm excited because you are, you are fired up and I like, uh, I like the intensity and the, uh, the, just the charisma from, uh, Dan on the other side of this call. When I was a kid, uh, when I was very small, like four years old, I used to carry around a tape recorder everywhere I went and record my own little radio show, which was just me talking nonstop. I, I did commercials and, and everything. Uh, so I've always been fired up to, to hear, hear the sound of my own voice is what my mom tells me. Did you really? Like you took yeah. a tape recorder everywhere? Yeah. I, and I, I, I had radio shows and I did like full commercial segments for like puppy chow and <laughs> ragu and, and SpaghettiOs and, and all the phrases, all the commercials I knew as a kid. Uh, huh. which, I didn't sing them that well because I was four. I don't sing things well at 40. I didn't sing anything well at four. So why did you switch to writing? Like you, It sounds like you grew up as a radio guy. Well, I, I, I guess it just happened and I just kind of got paid. I never really expected any of this to work out the way it did. Uh, so, so I do a lot of radio, but I, I, I wrote before I did radio uh, because, you know, writing is just talking with a pen, I guess. It's different. As some like I, I love doing both, but um I don't know where you you stand on this, but I was kinda like you. I grew up around this world. I knew what I wanted to do. I, I just I love to write and I love to read and I love to talk and I love to talk about sports and um there is just something about this that always made sense to me and it just it worked. But I will say there is something about um, thinking through things and editing and just trying to get your, your nut graph right and trying to think about what you're trying to say and things like that. It's just, there still is nothing for me as many podcasts as I do. And I do love doing this. Nothing will ever top being hitting publish for a piece that I felt really good about. That's still the best feeling I have in my life. See, see me, I second guess what I write. So 
when I hit publish, I'm relieved that I finished my the work I had to do, but I'm all, I also instantly hate the thing I submitted, and I think it's the worst thing ever. I never want to look at it again. Uh, I, I guess that's why George R. R. Martin never finishes his books. Uh, Maybe that's why. <laughs> I have other... I have other <laughs> theories as to why he is not finishing his books. Which, by the way, George R. R. Martin, if you're listening, as I know you are, you George R. R. Martin loves the Top 200 Sports Podcast on iTunes, so I assume he's listening to this one because we are in that Top 200 uh, frame. But, um, I, I George, uh, can you please finish the books? Because I, I am waiting on Winds of Winter. I, I need it. <laughs> see, see now, now he's going to stop listening because, you know, there's nothing he loves better than people on a podcast discussing his his inability to complete his books. Well, he has time to update his like 1995 website that just drives me insane, but he doesn't have time to, to finish up his books. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get that. Why would, I mean, it's the work that he's going to most be remembered for. Right. So why wouldn't you finish it? It's like if I did projections one year and I only did 2018, <laughs> that would be really stupid. It's like, no, I have, I have to do it. I mean, at the, at the rate he's writing, he's writing like a word a day. He's saying the, okay, that's, <laughs> I think I've written enough for today now to write, write a side story for some reason. Do you think he's going to finish? Cause I don't, I, he, I think he'll finish winds of winter. I don't think well, he'll finish more after it. Yeah. But this one, I mean, it's taken what? 12 years or something. Well, I, 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 I guess long? the hope is that like, but, if he finishes this one, it's like, all right, I might as well just go ahead and wrap it up and just suck it up and finish this thing. Yeah. But we also had the idea that, that when there was a show that he was at least going to try to beat the show so that the show didn't spoil his ending, but I don't think but, it's uh, going to spoil his ending. It's going to be a different kind of thing. I think there's going to be a different thing. Um, I, I don't know how you think it's going to end, but, um, even a troll job would be okay at this point. If he just, he, he just, if he just wrote, like, oh, submitted to his 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 publisher, he's a one sentence wins a winter, and then everybody died. Okay, it's it's weird, but at least he finished. Yeah, I mean, I think you know it's interesting because like one of my favorite um, four seasons of television is Dexter. I don't know if you watched the first four seasons of that, but like, if you pretend to get canceled after the trinity killer season in season four you're like holy shit this is like one of the four best seasons of tv of all time like how did they pull this off and um that's kind of i i wonder there is something to getting canceled before you have the chance to blow it <laughs> where now people are always gonna be like dude i can't wait for george R. R. martin to just wrap it up in his own way and there's always gonna be this appetite but if he doesn't people are like oh you know what i actually like the show's version better than uh, the way he ended this that's that's a serious possibility so um i would understand both sides there uh yeah and i i feel the same about dexter it was hard to stretch that out as long as it did uh, I'm I telling think you just forget th- it and like just re- remember it just spoiler spoilers folks um Rita just like that how how that all ends and everything else just be like that's it and you're like oh shit this is this is crazy but that Trinity Killer season is like one of my favorite seasons of television of all time uh, I don't know if you watch the Blacklist but I kind of I feel similarly about that it's a show that had some pretty good mysteries but they're kind of stretching for mysteries now. Uh, we really haven't gotten into baseball, have we? No, but <laughs> last thing on this. Um, the only <laughs> show that's actually ended well and is great from start to finish, folks, it's the only one in existence. Six Feet Under on HBO. It's the only perfect show. Started great, ended great, had the perfect ending. And if you don't believe me, just watch the ending, even with no context of Six Feet Under. 
just watch the ending with the Sia song and everything. Breathe me. Well, it's incredible. Six Feet Under, the only perfect show, folks. Well, see, I like I like when things end and they tell you the rest of the story. Uh, yes, that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler like, alert. I mean, oh, yeah. Well, if you haven't watched it by now, I think it's unfair. I mean, so you've watched it. Yeah, I've watched it, and I Did think at this not point get you every time, like the it, ending and everything. Yeah. it's just it's brutal, and you're just like, oh god, this is perfect. I love but, everything but you about the, this. You get the finality. I don't like when shows end and they just end and they leave all the questions. Like, oh, you can decide what happened. Like, no, I don't want to decide what happened. Just tell me what happened. Just tell me when everybody died and when. Yeah. Like a- Animal House, at least I mean they told us everything that happened. Of course, it's a different, it's a different kind of show, but we got to find out what happened to the characters. There you go, and that's a natural transition to Major League Baseball this season. <laughs> and that's where we're both radio professionals, Dan. Um, first thing I want to throw at you: Who won the winter? Oh, who won the winter? Oh. Mm-hmm. I I had to say San Diego just because of the way they brought in Manny Machado and how they pretty much turned the franchise upside their, their history upside down. Uh, you remember when they, you know, wouldn't keep Adrian Gonzalez uh, because of, of monetary reasons and to really invest that much Shout in a out start. To my Cleveland uh, Indians doing the same thing with Francisco Lindor, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But yes, I, I, I would recall. I, I would not say the Indians won the winter. Uh, no, I would not either. No, I'm I, I guess. I'm already going to the flip side of the question without finishing answering your question, but the Indians, I don't understand their outfield at all. I, it, I, I still don't get the non-qualifying offer from Michael Brantley mm-hmm. uh, because you, you, you sign him at 118, and if you don't, what are you doing? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I understand on, on some level that the Twins haven't been pushing them like they should have been. And they don't feel a real urgency, but still, I think, I think when you're when you leave this much of a hole to start a season, I think that's just asking for trouble if things start going wrong. Because which we're the, all cheering for, by the way, America's <laughs> team this year, the Minnesota Twins. Like anyone who's cheering, even Indians fans, if you're still cheering for this ownership group or anything, no, it's okay. Boo this team <laughs> for the rest of the season. This ownership group and everything, their front office and the front office comments from a month and a half ago on Lindor. No, no. Like my, I tweeted this out yesterday. Um, but I think if the MLB regular season did not start for like a month and a half, there is a realistic possibility that either the the Indians ownership group or the Braves ownership group would accidentally leak it to a, a beach <laughs> uh, a beat reporter that they the fans could go fuck themselves. Like that's that's a real thing. Like these, I, but the Braves the, at least signed Josh don't do Donaldson. This. Don't do this. The one-year $20 million qualifying offer, or the $20 million deal where the dude's going to play 65 games this year? Great. But it's better than what the Indians did, is, 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 is what guess. I'm saying. Yeah, Indians, I mean, that's obviously... That's where he came from. Pardon? <laughs> that's where Donaldson just finished up with, was the Indians. <laughs> uh, we can't escape yeah, these cheap, awful teams. I hate them both so much. And the Twins... The twins kind of uh, or obnoxious also this offseason because you look at last year they were willing to go after you darvish they were mm-hmm. willing to pay that amount of money now obviously for 2018 that would not have worked out but the point was that they were willing to spend that much on you darvish and invest in in the top free agent in the market so coming into this offseason i thought oh okay well they were willing to spend 150 for you darvish 
They have Joe Maurer off the books. Maybe this is the year they really make a splash and they sign Machado or Harper, or at least seriously go after them in an attempt to, you know, have that franchise player in the middle of their lineup, the, the, the one that neither Buxton or Sano have, have developed into. But they didn't. And that, that's frustrating, too. It's the whole AL Central is like just like a big old sack of disappointment <laughs> in a lot of ways. I would agree. Um, speaking of the pods, though, AJ Preller, he's someone that I'm very fascinated by. The, the AJ Preller experience. Um, he's back, baby. He, it, it feels like forever ago that he, he traded for the Uptons, but, um, Matt Kemp <laughs> and Matt Kemp and everything. Kimbrel, like him, just that off season of just going for it. Miss it. Love it. Love Preller. Um, how close to the pods to win the NL West? Because people forget that like the Dodgers were in a lot of trouble at the beginning of last season. Like they had to have this insane summer turnaround. They got back and kudos to them for doing it. But like, this is no sharp thing. The Dimebacks overachieved because they were like, you know what? What if we didn't pay JD Martinez and didn't compete? And then like somehow won too many games where people were like, see the scrappy <laughs> Dimebacks. They know what they're doing. Hey, he's doing in Arizona. They're going to be all right. Um, I, I don't know. I think the pods are close, but I, I don't know how close. Yeah. They, they, I, when I go back to last before last season, uh, two teams I talked I talked up a lot in pieces were the Braves and the Phillies. Not because I thought they were going to be you know divisional contenders seriously in 2019 or 2018, uh, but because they had that upside where they had enough of a core and enough talent coming in that they could that they could finish their rebuild a year early that they could just surge forward because when you have a young team the the, the unexpected surprises tend to be more on the lines of good ones than bad ones. Uh, the, I feel a lot about the Padres like that. If you ask me on average how good a team they are, I'd probably say, depending on my mood at any time, somewhere between like 79 and 83 wins. But they're a 79 and 83 win team that has a lot of young pitching with upside, and they don't need to hit on all of it. They can literally hit on a quarter of their pitching prospects, and they'll be just fine. If if Chris Paddock has is instantly a number two starter, uh, for instance, all of a sudden it's a really interesting team. Machado gets them to that point where there are actually some things that can realistically go right that make them a serious wild card contender or a divisional contender if the Dodgers struggle. Uh, on average, if you played the year a million times in a million universes, I more often than not they would not make the playoffs, but. They do have that upside, so it's a it's a terrific team to watch uh, in 2019. Who do the Giants want to be in 2019? Because <laughs> I I can't figure it out. They they the, <laughs> the Giants they have a dream that it's 2014. I mean, it's an even year, and they've had good luck there. I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, yeah, they they had but that's the problem because they they broke their. They're odd year even thing, and now Irrelevant, it's just Dan. bad years. <laughs> Keep the dream alive. Yeah, they see, they started off having odd year even years, and then they had you know prime year years, uh, and now they just have bad years that are divisible by one. Uh, yeah, the, the Giants they're they're kind of at the end. I mean, they had a pretty nice little era. It they did something that was very hard to do is they actually kept winning as the team's core transition considerably. Uh, they didn't have Tim Lincecum the whole time or Matt Kane and they, and they still put together wins, but that organization is largely out of steam. They don't have the major league talent anymore. I don't think 
even if you assume that they probably underperformed in 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they have just enough in the organization to really be interesting. And they don't have the prospects to, to, to change that. Uh, there's, there's no one in the minors who's going to blow through and no one's going to be their, their Blake Snell. Um, well, they have Derek Rodriguez, so they have their own Blake Snell actually. Damn. But they, but they, they all remember they also had Derek Rodriguez in 2018 yeah. and he'll, he'll get more starts, but I don't think he's going to have a, you know, an ERA under three again. So, they already have the game from Derek Rodriguez in the books, essentially. Uh, but it was, we, he's such a great story. Love that dude. Yeah. He wasn't even a pitcher a couple of years ago, basically. Like, he just transitioned and was like, oh, it's fine. He's going to become an ace on the Giants. It's like one of those where it's like, oh, he came from Ivan Rodriguez. Like, it's just the DNA. He, he could just switch it on and just be like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I like, I like hitter picture success stories like Sean Doolittle. Yeah. And then there's the inverse and like the the Rick and Keel stuff, um, which is different circumstances, obviously. Um, are the Cardinals a sleeper contender for you this year? I think they are. I think the top three, really, any team winning the NL Central wouldn't shock me. But I think that that the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals are still a tier above the the Reds and the Pirates. Uh, picking up Goldschmidt was a was a pretty big deal. I'm not really sure how I'm going to like the end of the deal, but the Cardinals didn't really give up anyone that they would truly regret giving up for Goldschmidt. And he gives him another, a, a real middle of the, of the order bat that could put up an MVP season. Uh, because one of the characteristics of the Cardinals is they've had a very solid team. That's very deep and very consistently good, but they've never, they haven't had really great seasons in a while. They always have partial great seasons. Like Matt Carpenter was an MVP for like four months and pretty terrible for two other months. Uh, I think their last top five in the MVP was Carpenter, like in 2012 or something, or really? 2013. Really? How long has Matt Wait. Holiday been washed? Ah, see now I have to <laughs> have to go on. Like, was it what was the year that he was? Wait, when did no, he, he was like... the last. He was the last. Okay. No, he never had. No, he never had a top five MVP in St. Louis. Interesting. He huh. had an 11th place in 2012. Really? We're getting old, Dan. I can't. Yeah, oh, I, everything ago. I. Yeah, when I when I see players with with sim, with familiar last names, I always hope that they're the brothers of the player I remember, <laughs> but they turn out to be the sons. <laughs> so like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vlad Jr. is really yeah. Those around. see when they do Jr., it's hard to get around that. Even but you just can't... Derek Rodriguez, like Pudge having a son in the majors, is still kind of insane to me. Yeah, and um, uh, I mean, I'm I'm of an age. I'm forty, so. I still call some players now by their dad's names. Mm. I, I call Cody Bellinger, Clay Bellinger a lot. I, I can't not call him Clay. I wish that his dad had a different first name. You know, it's interesting. I don't think anyone under 30 knows that his dad played in the majors. Yeah, that's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's not like he was like a superstar or anything. Yeah. Uh, and I still remember Kevin Romine with the Red Sox. And I call both his sons <laughs> Kevin at, and it isn't even the same letter, but I call Andrew and Austin Romine. I call them both Kevin at, at various. You can just mess with people and all this stuff because people would believe you. You're like, oh, they his dad played in the majors. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I got this person so mad on me on social media. I guess this was this was a long time ago, like six or seven or eight years ago, and I was talking about similar names about, and I I said, uh, uh, I I described 
uh, the Alex Gonzalez's. And I said, I don't know which one the good one is. And he kept pointing out, and he's like, no, there's two of them. You see that one? I'm like, no, I still don't know what who the good one is. And, and did not understand that I was just being mean about, like, there is no good Alex Gonzalez. It's uh, a great name, though. It's, it feels like a superstar name. There should have been a good Alex Gonzalez. Yeah, and there, and there still could be. I'm still amazed that there were two Jeff D'Amico's mm. playing at the same time. I mean... Alex Gonzalez sounds pretty common. So does like Jeff Robinson, but, and like the Orioles at one time had like two or three Mike Smith's, but to have two Jeff D'Amico's Can that I were tell you the next superstar from this like current, like role player lineage of guys who nobody will remember 20 years from now. It's Tommy sure. Listella. Tommy Listella. Like his son is going to be a superstar. Like it's going to be Listella and people are like, no, his dad played. And you're like, eh, I don't think so. And then you're like, this dude's a, like just Listella is such a superstar name, and this guy just yeah, that's my bet is Tommy Listella having like a superstar son twenty years from now, and then I'll feel old where I'm like, oh, I remember him. He was like a utility second baseman, and it was just uh, I kept waiting on him, especially when he first started out in Atlanta and everything, but he just didn't put it all together. Um, did the Brewers do enough this off season to stay atop the NL Central this year? Uh, I I wouldn't put them as my favorite. But there's still a lot to like about that organization. They got some pretty good deals. Uh, once again, you know, being this year's team to take advantage of Mike Moustakis's inability to to work the market uh, is good for the Brewers, not so much for Moustakis. Uh, uh, getting Grandal for that one year deal is was absolutely ridiculous. I'm not. I'm not a person who believes that there's actually collusion in baseball. I think what we're seeing now is is the product of a lot of teams that think. Similarly, and a lot of the questions are sort of solved about value. Uh, but if I did believe in collusion, that Grandall signed a one-year contract, that's the one that would hit me as like, okay, that's the one that makes me think something suspicious is going on. So that's that's a good move for the Brewers, objectively, to have a contract like that. Uh, I, I mean, I like to see Jimmy Nelson come back healthy. Uh, I, I I think they, I think they did well. Um, the Cubs didn't do really that much either. So I don't think the Brewers really necessarily had to add a huge bit of talent. The Pagoda projections for Chicago, not great this year. Like yeah, how they many people w- are ready for like Chicago to be bad. Like that's a real possibility. Yeah. Zips and Steamer like them better, but I mean, it is a possibility because you look at the Cubs, the outfield's not great. It does have some questions, uh, whether or not they're lying about, oh, we're out of money. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're lying. But whether even if they even if they were telling the truth, it's the same it's the same general result uh, that it's hard to add players. And their depth is just kind of shrinking because they're, they're the minors. They had to trade off a lot of their minor league talent to bring in, you know, major leaguers, uh, you know, cash in that talent. But they, they haven't developed that same amount of talent. They don't have those guys coming up that they can fill holes with. So while I think the rotation is going to be a lot better this year. It doesn't take a lot of injuries to the rotation, especially for the wheels to come off this team. And I think it's something that they need to consider because uh, the outfield is is weak. Uh, the rotation doesn't have depth. That makes the team kind of susceptible to baseball's nasty surprises. I don't think this team could survive, say, a Dodgers amount of injuries. If what happened like the Dodgers in the last few years happened to the Cubs this year, I think the Cubs could be a fourth or fifth place team. Uh, I, I think like that 79 or whatever projection, I think it's probably on the low side, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a possible scenario. It's not 
a preposterous result. I think it's so it's tough because I think ultimately I could see the Cubs starting off poorly. And like you said, like if the injury buck hits them that you're like, oh, this could be a real thing. But I think this is a, a, a front office and a group that would adjust. You know what I mean? Where I think they would be like, oh, no, we're not allowing us to finish fourth. We're trading for Zach Grinky or we're doing something ridiculous to keep us afloat. Like, I think this front office will get kind of desperate on that front where they're like, we know that there's not a lot in the pipeline. We know we don't have a lot of trade assets. So we'll have to like overpay for a really expensive piece and take them from someone else, um, a smaller market. Like I could see them just overreacting in that kind of way to keep them afloat. But I also, I will say I'm pretty high on the pirates this year. And I think the pirates have a really good shot of uh, like all the reds optimism with people. I don't share, but I do have it with the, I have pirates optimism and I could definitely see them finishing above the Cubs this year in the NL central. Am I yeah, crazy? I, it, 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 it's it's not crazy. I still think the Cubs are the better team, but you, there is enough upside in the Pirates. Uh, they, Adam they Frazier, ha- baby, he's yeah, coming. They, and I mean, the rotation is interesting. It's it's, but interesting in a good way, not like interesting in the Orioles' way. Um, no, the Orioles. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're no, interesting. There's nothing interesting about the Orioles. <laughs> no, no, they they're very interesting because you see, here's the thing. Oh God! If you're going to be terrible, I want listeners for this podcast. By the if, way, Dan, if if you want to be terrible. You want to be amazingly terrible because everybody remembers the, the 62 Mets. No one remembers the teams that lost 107 games. True. If, if you're going to be terrible, be the best at being terrible there be the is. Astros. Yeah, but the Orioles are better at being terrible than those Astros were because the, even the Astros had, you know, a couple, you know, bright spots. There's literally no bright spot on the Orioles. Uh, How many the people bull- could even name who their current manager is off the top of their head? <laughs> I don't even think a lot of baseball writers know who it is. <laughs> well, well, remember. That, Do you know, Dan? Yeah, it's Brandon Hyde, but they, okay. they, <laughs> but they hired him like at the end of December. They weren't even, they weren't even like. They wouldn't have hired no- a manager if they didn't have to. Like, uh, I, I want to believe <laughs> that they were called from the front office, the, the league office where they're like, uh, Manfred's on the phone. He, he said that you actually have to hire somebody. Not, yeah, he doesn't care who it is. Just hire somebody. The prospects that they have in the future that will make the team not terrible, they literally have none of them in the majors right now. I right. mean, maybe Cedric Mullins, but I don't I don't really think he has much upside. Uh, I mean, Andrew Casher is their opening day starter. Uh, they still have Michael Givens, but I think he's in a different uniform before the end of the year. But you look you look at the at, at the starting lineup. Uh, they they say Chan Cisco down. They have Jesus Sucre as the starter. Uh, they have a rule fiver at shortstop. They still have Chris Davis, uh, Rio Ruiz at third, uh, Jonathan VR at, at second base. Dwight Smith Jr. is the DH. Uh, it's it's you're making up names, by the way. <laughs> it's yeah, I know they sound like it, especially when you get to some of the uh, starting pictures. But uh, the you don't really need to manage the Orioles because none of these players, except you know maybe Richie Martin or the other rule or Drew Jackson, none of these players are going to be part of the next good Orioles team. And the Orioles, the challenge is just, you know, they just need 25 guys to show up at some point and, and play the game. Just like, no, just we need 25 people. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, J.J. Who. Hardy, come on down, baby. You're back. Let's bring him back. What is J.J. Hardy doing? Why can't he play for the Orioles this year? Uh, <sighs> did, he, did he even sign like a minor league contract with anyone afterwards? After he got, after, after he left the Orioles, did he? I'm trying to. I have no idea. He just kind of faded away. Remember when he was really good for a while? He was really good. He was underrated for a while. 
Nate McLaugh, uh, can we put him in left? Nate McLaugh, <laughs> we're gonna assemble. That that would be a, an interesting thing. The Orioles reassemble like the 2007 Pirates. I think that's a thing. If you want to tank, you should have to sign like some really wash veterans that we get to enjoy. And we're like, are they really still playing baseball? Like, unbelievable. Oh, that's what Jack Wilson's doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be the best one for the Orioles? Who would be like, what are like? I I actually kind of appreciate this that you're actually giving him a job. Good for you. Yeah, it's it kind of like yeah i i think it'd be fun to put together some of those really bad pirates teams you could have pat mears now kevin young now uh although i should be nicer to kevin young because we were really mean to him on usenet uh we gave him the nickname ky jelly roll which was mean on about four different levels yes damn all right um the pirates though my optimism will fade like the second that i i see like on the ticker that um huntington traded Corey dickerson for some n- meaningless just salary relief in like he, june that's when i'm like damn it they're not what? gonna do it yeah I, I i i do have a bone to pick with the pirates because they did a very good job developing the core of the team and you know getting back to contention on a budget but they didn't have those years like there's two or three years where they unleash the budget temporarily to try to, you know, capture the team at the height of its powers and and make those sizable short term investments to to win. They they did do that to go over the top. They they never hit a hundred million, I don't believe, in, in in payroll. And that kind of disappointed me because it's like, yeah, we could buy that you're gonna be fifty, sixty million dollars for a while, but we like to believe that you're like saving something for the final push over the top. That, that that never really came, and that that always kind of bummed me out about him. Well, to be fair, they were saving up for uh, Mr. Kang's uh, legal uh, <laughs> fees. <laughs> uh, but it's He's back, but the, by the way, folks. Starting at third. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I mean, uh, but he 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 does have a lot of upside still. It's just I love uh, it that was you're very like weird. trying to dance. I, I I put you in a bind here. By bringing up this uh, this person, yeah. See, I like to stay out of anything slightly <laughs> controversial. I could just see. I I feel bad now. I didn't mean to because like... because the the thing about Twitter is if if you talk about anybody who ever committed a crime in like the baseball sense, uh, then you kind of get in trouble. Like, yeah, I know. Like, what Aronis Chapman did was horrible. But I still want to be able to talk about the bullpen of the Yankees without talking about that. It's not necessary at all times. Uh, hmm. And so you bring, you bring up Kang and there's always like, Do you know, he's a drunk driver. Like, yeah, I know. But it doesn't really affect the roster and and the run score. They don't. I think you're underselling the Kang story. Okay, possibly. <laughs> I think uh, you're underselling it. But yes, um and also to be fair to the Pirates ownership group, um Mr. Nutting is only worth 1.1 billion. Oh, poor guy. Yeah, so let's well, be, well, be well, there nice. Were, well, there was that uh that what was it, CNBC article today where they showed how a person making 500,000 could feel very average. I did see that. Unfortunately, like only $7,000 in the year just left over. Yeah, I mean, and the poor guy, I mean, I mean, when you fit, when those vacations, vacations for... <laughs> yeah, his, his, what was it like 20,000 or something or 15 or it was a lot. It was like $2,000 a month on gas, which <laughs> I didn't quite understand because just cause you're rich doesn't mean you drive farther. 
But also, like, they didn't spend enough on clothes. I saw that and I was like, 200 a month on clothes? If you're going to be rich and you're going to spend, like, why would you not spend, like, no, you spend a lot on clothes at, at the very minimum. Like, what are yeah, you doing, guy? I, I'm trying to figure out the car thing because I think when you're rich, it doesn't, like, you don't represent being rich by driving farther. It's like, I'm rich. I'll I'm going to drive 10,000 <laughs> miles a, a, a month. Like, really? Yeah. I didn't even consider that. Um, this leads us into a great uh, question into um, are the A's going to be good again in 2019? I think they're going to be good. Okay. I don't think they're going to be 97 wins good. Or I, 162 as that they might be after losing the, the Mariners series. I, probably not. Uh, but you, you had the, you had the, you had the power of, of Ichiro's farewell. That's so, true. You can't undervalue that. Yeah. I mean, essentially, this Ichiro having his final games in Japan was like the end of like a of a of a of a biography film about him. Like, like that was like the final. No, great that should not be the final career. thing. The final thing should be his interview with Bob Costas. <laughs> that has to be the last thing, and I would fight anyone who did not have his quote as to what it's like playing baseball in Kansas City in the middle of summer because it's hotter than a fucking wool sock. Yeah, I. I <laughs> Rats will <Fuck> suck. It. <laughs> uh, it's the best interview of all time. I might actually go out and watch it after this podcast. Yeah, well, you, that, that's the thing. Baseball plays in in mostly <laughs> hot cities in the summer. Yeah. People pe- people don't quite understand how cold San Francisco and Oakland are relative to the rest of the league. Uh, they actually have the coldest average game time temperature of any teams in baseball. Hmm. Uh, but th- that's that's one of the nice benefits of of being a writer and credentialed is because I get to be in the press box, which has air conditioning. <laughs> so that's always nice. There you go. Um, I, that's something I've learned as I got older, as I've aged. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 40, I've decided that I love air conditioning more than pretty much anything in that exists in the world. Interesting. See, you've always been a heater guy. I love warming up. I love uh, turning on my heater every night, especially during the colder months. I, I love warming up. I hate cooling off. I hate being hot. I I I hated. Uh, I mean, I had the uh, my my furnace actually died mm. uh, a week, two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago I now. An extra, if you'd like me to send it to you. A furnace? You have a whole extra furnace? Yes. How do you have a that's that's a pretty big thing to have just hanging around. I got but it. no. The furnace in his house was was really old. Uh it came with the house as furnaces tend to do, but it had never actually broke down, so I never replaced it. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna replace things for for fuel efficiency purposes. Uh <laughs> there you go. It's like because you know always tell you just replace your furnace now. It's like, no, I replace my furnace when I when it dies or I die, and then I don't care anymore. Uh, so this is what I'll tell you about a mid twenties uh, bachelor. What the, our interpretation of a furnace is? Um, I have a heating thing that I call a furnace because it's very hot, it's very large, and it warms me up. Love it. I don't know what to call it. Is it a heater? I don't know. It feels too big to be a heater, so I call it a furnace. Um, and I have two of them. Space heater? I don't know. Space heater just seems weird to me, and that sounds a lot cooler than what it actually is. Like, yeah, it's not like it's going to heat up space, but yes. it doesn't. It just it heats up a small. If they called it, you know, a small area around you heater, it wouldn't be quite as popular. No, uh, space but no, just, it's not true. Feels disingenuous and very untrue. So no, I won't call it that. I'm calling it a furnace. It's a young person furnace because young people uh, can't afford furnaces. 
I no, well, I I we I, can I, barely I, afford guacamole. <laughs> well, yeah, you have to. All that avocado toast really adds up. Yeah. See, as a Gen Xer, we didn't have the same love affair of avocados, except for my friend Alan, who carries, who before was cool, Shout you out know, to Alan. hipster. He he carry he'd always have avocados with him. Not like guacamole. He'd have the actual avocados like in a baggie. What? And he'd make guacamole in random now? places. He just had, you know, just the whole avocado hanging around. That's not a thing. What is it what? Alan what? I need to like check to see if he's on any kind of watch list. He was walking around with avocados? Yeah, he always had avocados. Why are you making this sound like a normal thing? Like it's just it's just it was for him. No. This, was, this this friend had a lot of had a lot of quirks he almost murdered us when we ate his milano cookies once when we were at the beach Jesus. Uh, th- this was for senior week okay uh, alan if and- you're listening i'm a big fan so don't <laughs> worry about me man i'm, he, I'm he, good he shows up in my twitter timeline quite a bit we've been friends since i was five and he was six okay uh so i i drag him into twitter conversations frequently when, when talking about him <laughs> because he he does some weird things but we were we like were walk around with avocados like it's a normal thing <laughs> He had he had avo- he, yeah he he had his avocado baggie everywhere he goes. I think he still does. What? Still? Yeah, but but we 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 were uh, we were at the beach. Uh, like five of us rented a a house uh, after after senior year. I mean, you know, we went to the beach as most. I, I guess they still do senior week if you're on the coast like that. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we all had our own little areas. We had our own food. Our own food supply. Like everyone got their own stuff. Yeah. Oh, no. It, we all had it. Um, well anyway, this was like like the fifth or sixth night, and he's he's coming in and he he has like he ha- always had this voice to sound like an angry old man. He's like, rah, 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 and he kind of stuttered and he could like, Where are my Milano cookies? <laughs> to be fair, they're I, great. They're oh, they're great cookies. And there were two Milano cookies missing. It wasn't like someone ate the whole bag. Well, there's uh, only like six in a bag, so it's really I think like, a third like twelve. At that but point. still, there were there were two Milano cookies. They're like, oh, I I had it so I could have two cookies every day, and two of my cookies are gone. <laughs> and no one would admit to. Um, sorry, see, doing his voice makes me cough. <laughs> <coughs> well, no one would admit to stealing his Milano cookies. Um, so he's just yelling at us for like twenty minutes while we're trying to watch TV, just yelling about the how we how we destroyed the sanctity of friendship and stuff. He actually said that. I don't remember the exact words, but he actually said the phrase sanctity of friendship. Uh, he took a huge pile of change and just flung it at us. And this was like, this was like nine at night. He marches out. He doesn't come back for hours. He just leaves and goes nowhere. I mean, I had the only car. Uh, so it's like he drove anywhere. He just wandered off somewhere in a, in a murderous rage about his Milano cookies. Uh, eventually one of my other friends, Dave, he, he admitted that he stole the Milano cookies a few years later. He didn't want to do it at the time because he was scared. Uh, and so he bought Alan a, a pallet of Milano cookies one year for Christmas. Jesus Christ. (laughs) He, Alan, Alan had some anger issues. Uh, his his second grade teacher described him as an angry young man. <laughs> Alan, like I said at the top of this conversation, big fan of you, Mr. Alan. Um, no, Alan's great. If Alan he... is the best, actually. Um, and to be clear, um, I like you more than Dan. Um, this is Aww. a great follow up to the last question I was going to ask you before we get it. We have to go. Um, this is about your... Milano cookies. I, I I I do still enjoy cookies. 
if that's yeah, the I mean, question. Yeah, are the best. Um, I'm actually going to have some Chips Ahoy after we get off this podcast. Um, if you had to rank the top three right now based on what they did this offseason between the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Astros, or as we like to call them, the American League this season, um, how would you rank them? I would say Yankees, Astros, and then a long stretch, and then Red Sox. Interesting. I, 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 I like bringing Evaldi back. I don't like that they've just kind of said, whatever, bro, with the, with the, with the bullpen. Yeah, it is weird, right? Like it's They just, just said, nah, we no lost our two bro- best guys. Nah, we don't need them. Yeah, I, um, it, it's weird, but like they get, it doesn't matter. They won a lot of titles and they won last year and they, they paid the price. Like they're still top five in payroll. Like their fans, they still have a lot of, um, goodwill from their fans like they're gonna they're gonna be fine they'll probably trade for somebody mid-season but um yeah i'd probably agree with you i no, i'd actually say asher is one for me i still think correa is like on the like we're gonna see an insane correa year i feel like getting bregman on that bargain and oh i thought we were ranking them based just on what they did in the offseason oh i was working yeah like what they did so going into this year like how do you think oh that's actually still the ranking i have but it's closer i I thought we were we were ranking their off seasons, and the Red Sox didn't really do anything besides resign Evaldi. They they signed Steve Pierce, and those were their only two major league free agent signings, I believe. They they had like Carson Smith to a minor league contract, but that's not really a big signing. No, no, I no. In terms of how good they are overall, it, it's it's much closer. Uh, I think you could literally have you could. The, the AL, there's really four really, really good teams. They could just kind of give the wild card over to the NL and like have an NL team be the second wild card. Uh, because I think there could be eight or nine teams better than the AL second wild card. Hmm. Yeah. I I just feel like we we just forget the Astros just got ravaged with injuries midseason last year. And like they were on pace to be the best team of all time. Like I remember reading that Beyond the Box Score piece where it was like they did the numbers of just like diving into how historically good like this starting rotation and bullpen and everything. Where you're like, oh my god, like this team's just insane. And they got hit with a little bit of injury stuff and then they lost. But like, I don't know. I think we're yeah. I I, I remember getting I remember getting in a fight with someone who's saying that like the Astros. This was like in June when they had just fallen back in the second place. And the person was like, the Astros are having a disappointing season. I'm like, like what the hell? Like no. they're they're forty and twenty five. That that's not disappointing. It's just that 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 another team is playing really well. There is some, no bad luck. Like that was either, really it. If you're playing six, you know, six hundred, six ten ball, you you're not really failing in any way whatsoever. It's true. But don't don't say that. No. All right, Dan. Well, we have to run, but I could. Uh, this has been great, and I could talk baseball with you and Game of Thrones and uh, Alan all night long. But I really appreciate you taking the time, <laughs> Dan. Is there anything we can read from you from Fangraphs or ESPN this week? Well, I'm going to have uh, my seasonal predictions up uh, Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. The official, of the the super official Zips ones that Presented that if by the Chase Emma's podcast. <laughs> uh, if I, you see the way I feel about pro- projections that. If if they don't match reality, it was reality that was failed to match the projections. Correct. Not not the projections' fault. That or I just blame Carson Sestouli. Um There you go. 
Uh, well, so that's that's what I'm working on this week, but uh, I, I definitely need some time to crash after because I update the depth charts at Fangraphs, mm-hmm. and I've been in there like 24/7 for like five days trying to I get do, all like, these payroll flexibility and right field for the Braves this year. I think he's gonna be pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's it's a usual upgrade over Nick Markakis. That's uh, true. Like, because apparently Nick Markakis actually good now, and we can just uh, get rid of the whole second half of his season. It's fine. What? Did, did you see uh, the athletic Watson, 100 water, uh, WRC plus season? That's apparently on the, the radar. Well, I love Dansby Swanson because he sounds like a great Gatsby character. That's always fascinated me about him. Uh, Mark Kakis, uh, the, the, the athletic just did their poll of players for like, you know, most overrated, most underrated. Mark Kakis was near the top for most underrated. God. And I was like, oh. yeah. And I was like, most of the names they had for these things were, were pretty good. When they asked the bet, when they asked the players, the best defenders, I think every single one of those players had a positive ultimate zone rating by a lot. Uh, but then you get to the most underrated. It's like Nick Markakis. Are you kidding me? Uh, and people think I hate Nick Markakis. I don't. But it's just that. No, it's not his fault. Yeah. I mean, if I put Markakis thing. Pardon? It's not a Nick Markakis thing. Yeah. Like it's not. It has nothing to do with him. Like it's no, no. I yeah. It's no... it's an analysis thing. Right. I like myself. But if a team gave me like a million dollars a year to play baseball, I would totally rip on that team as being stupid as hell. Uh, obviously, Nick Markakis is a better baseball player than I am because I kind of topped out at about 16. Uh, mm-hmm. and, my, and my fastball hit 70. So you're ready to play first base for the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles this year. Yeah. It's, hey, when, tw- when they just. worse be- than Chris Davis? I'd, I'd be worse so. than Chris Davis. No, it could be worse than Chris Davis. Uh, but the nice thing about the Orioles is if you just need 25 guys to show up, who knows? I do have credentials. If I just show up wearing a jersey, maybe I'll play. There you go. Great way to wrap up. Future Oriole. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. I'm There's... still younger than Fernando Rodney. Uh, I, I'm still younger than Bartolo. And faster than Pedro Alvarez. Maybe ba- better plate discipline? Who knows? We can't rule it out, folks. Dan, I appreciate you taking the time. Let's talk again soon, man. Thanks for having me. All right. We are now joined by Connor Ryan of the Boston Sports Journal, a site that I've been reading for years now. It's a great local site that uh, Greg Bedard, SI guy that I read for years before, um, started. And I believe you were the first one from this group uh, to appear on the podcast. So I appreciate uh, you being the first one to take the plunge uh, tonight, Connor. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. So how are things at BSJ? Are they are they still good? Yeah, absolutely, man. Keeping busy as always. This is uh, my first year covering the Bruins for the site. And, uh, you know, it's just been an awesome experience. I mean, it's it's a fun team to cover. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, different things pop up, you know, the, the usual things people say that the NHL is a little bit more slow paced than, you know, covering an NBA team or an NFL team, but, uh, it's a really fun kind of group of guys to get to cover a lot of younger guys who are trying to kind of stake their claim in the NHL. And it's been a pretty eventful year league wide. So, you know, I can't really ask for a better situation for me. Uh, and now obviously kind of getting ready for the playoffs, which is starting about two weeks now. Yeah, um, the Bruins in a very interesting uh, playoff situation. Um, what does the fan base think about the the current state of the Bruins and what they're going to have to deal with, especially in the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of pretty much the same situation as it was last year. And uh, 
pretty much that they're pretty much going to be tied up with the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. I mean, it's all but a certainty at this point. Uh, the Bruins are pretty close to walking up home ice advantage in that first round, and it's going to be a tough challenge for the Bruins. I mean, you look at the way the current NHL format is, which is a whole nother issue in terms of, you know, how many first, second round matchups are really going to involve, you know, pretty stacked teams. But uh, when you look at this Bruins team, though, and how well they're equipped to at least get through that first round against the Maple Leafs team that obviously has a bunch of firepower. I mean, they have Mitch Monner's already passed 90 points. John Tavares, the big pickup they have, is already up to 40 goals. Austin Matthews is one of the most deadliest goal scorers in the league. So, they're really going to have the work cut out for them. But when you look at this Bruins team, uh, when you compare it to last year, especially, um, I think they're better equipped for a longer run. And, you know, a longer run can only go so far because obviously, you know, if they're able to beat Toronto, who's next? The Tampa Bay Lightning, who've just been obliterating everyone all year. So it's a bit of a tough task. But when you look at this Bruins team, uh, what makes them better equipped is you pretty much have the same cast. You have that top line of Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak. Three guys already up to 30 goals. Brad Marchand might be the first Bruin since Joe Thornton to hit over 100 points, which is just absurd when you look at Brad Marchand, what he was in 2011, started as a fourth liner. Now he's one of the most elite wingers in the league. But those guys are all still in place. You got David Krejci, you got those guys. You didn't know Chara, 42, but still, you know, a top pairing defenseman. But what puts this team over the top, especially look at some of the younger guys on defense that have really kind of made that next step. Look at Brendan Kahlo, who missed the last two postseasons for the Bruins. He's averaging close to 21 minutes a night. Minutes uh, yesterday against the Lightning in that hard-fought loss for them. He's going to be a key cog for this Bruins team when it comes to, you know, shutting down, you know, a Matthews line, a uh, Braden Points line, a line like that. He's going to be invaluable. We've got like Matt Kurzlik, who's injured right now, but should probably be back by this weekend. He's really evolved his game. He's one of those new kind of prototypical smaller defenseman who really excels at making that first pass, excels on the breakout. He's been a key weapon for the Bruins this year. It's going to be those guys who have made that next step that are going to put this Bruins team over the top. And, you know, again, it's not going to be easy with, you know, Toronto being in that first-round matchup. Get past Toronto, congrats. you got to face Tampa Bay in the second round. But this Bruins team does have the personnel, you know, that, that right mix of young guys who are turning that corner, like Charlie McAvoy, Jake DeBrusque, with that veteran core that's won before in place like Bergeron, Krejci, Chara, they've got kind of all the things brewing that, you know, if there's a team that can make in a sustained run that's not the Lightning out of the East, I think it's the Bruins. So do you think, like, how much do you read into their regular season matchups with the Maple Leafs? Because it's, A, insane that we're doing this in the first round. Like, the NHL has this thing where they're like, we want to establish these kind of rivalries and blah, blah, blah. But, like, is there any fans that actually enjoy this new setup? Because I feel like the answer is no. Um, I, 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 I can't see it. I mean, it's, it's, the way it's set up now, it's like, all right, well, congrats, you faced uh, Toronto in the first round, and, you know, great, you know, division rivalry, but, you know, does the NHL really want that where, you know, look at it, through the first two rounds of the East, and we're just going to limit to the East, you're going to have two out of the three of the Bruins, the Lightning, and the Maple Leafs out. So, you know, you got two original six teams, two huge fan bases, the Lightning, who very well are, I think, three wins away from being having the most wins of any team in NHL history. I mean, an absolutely loaded team. We haven't seen a team like this since, like, the 90s Red Wings. So, you know, are they going to be out? Are the Bruins going to be out? Are Toronto going to be out? Like, I, I don't understand why it has to be kind of this situation where you're knocking out these teams early to get a good matchup when, all right, you knock one of those teams out and then in the Eastern Conference Finals, who are you going to face? Like, a, you know, is it going to be, I mean, Bruins-Caps would be a fun matchup, but like, you know, 
you would ideally want the Lightning to be, you know, in the Eastern Conference Finals against another team in the Atlantic who's stacked. I mean, and you you can even look at it, you know, the way this, you know, it's set up in in the West. I think right now the way it's set up, you're going to have one of San Jose or Vegas in the first round too. Like, is that what the NHL really wants? You know, Vegas, who's been the in a role. Dude, the West is going like, to be a ratings dumpster fire. Like, it's, right, the mean, way it's set up right now is just, it's brutal. Like, congrats. Like, you know, you got the Vegas Golden Knights, who are a fun team to watch. They've been on a roll since they got knocked down. Fun team to watch. Great atmosphere. The like, right, exactly. Going down. Yeah, and, and you look at it, too. I mean, for as much as, like, you know, you don't really see a lot of roster movement in the NHL. Look at what teams, you know, made big splashes this year. Uh, Toronto gets Sean Tavares. San Jose gets, you know, trades for Eric Carlson. Great moves. And all of a sudden, what? Are, there's a good chance both those teams could be out in the first round when those teams have no business being out in the first round. You know, it's, it's, it's just brutal. And the way it's set up now, like if you looked at how it would be back in the old days, where it's, you know, one seed versus eight seed, I know the, the standings have kind of shifted a little bit, but at one point last week, if it, the NHL had that format, whereas, you know, one, eight, two, seven, there was a chance where the first round Toronto would have played the Islanders, which you can't tell me like everyone wouldn't be extremely hyped up to see John Tavares go up against the Islanders again. Like, those are the matches we want to see, not, you know, the Bruins and uh, Maple Leafs, you know, beating each other up in the first round and then having to face the Lightning in the second round. Like, that, that's like the frustrating thing is, one, it, you get all these great matches out of the way early, which stinks. And then, you know, it's something that even Steven Stamkos kind of talked about. And he's a guy who, honestly, that Lightning team can cruise through a few rounds. But he mentioned that he's not happy with this format because, you know, if there's a team that could probably match it well against the Lightning, it's probably the Bruins or, you know, a team, a high-powered offense team like the Maple Leafs. I need to face them in the second round. Like, it's just a brutal setup for everyone involved. Like, you have to wonder. I mean, the NHL GMs meeting just wrapped up a few weeks ago, and no one really talked about, you know, the playoff format or anything like that. But I don't understand how they can keep, you know, keep this format going on when you have so many good teams out by, like, the second round. So last year, Predators and uh, Predators and Jets, two best point getters in the NHL, uh, go at in the second round. So all of a sudden, you knock a team like that out. Like, it's just a brutal setup. And, again, it's not going to make things easier for the Bruins or any of these teams getting out of, you know, the first couple of rounds out East. What does uh, Bettman have to do to make sure that the hurricanes don't get in over the, the Canadians? Oh my God. Well, I mean, I think Don Cherry is going to blow a casket if, it, <laughs> if the Carolina hurricanes get through. Um, but uh, see, that's the thing is, uh, you know, they've got a, a tough matchup the way it's set up too. I think right now they're scheduled to go up against Washington, who I think they Washington, are. yes, yeah, Washington, I think just beat them four one last time I checked. But you know, but that's yeah, the thing is like series. They got one more game, I believe. Okay, yeah, they play one more time the twenty eighth. Right. Well, see, that's the thing is like so Carolina's getting through, but then meanwhile, you know, Montreal's hanging on for dear life, even though I think they've strung together a couple of good wins recently. But then, I mean, you got Columbus who's fighting for its life and like oh man if columbus for all the moves they made to the deadline don't make it into the postseason like holy crap you're gonna see teams like not do anything in the deadline for the next five years because you yeah. know i guess you know credit i guess to columbus for kind of going all in for it i don't see why they wanted to put all the chips on the table like i understand that you know you got a, a semi and you got bobrovsky you got these guys who are gonna cash in this year like everyone knew it but of all used to go all in too, like you're going all in on the year in which like there's the lightning are just going scorched earth for the entire season. Like it, it's, I understand like you're trying to, you know, go all in this year, but I mean, it has not panned out. I mean, like you're seeing Anthony Duclair who was in John Tortorella's doghouse for pretty much the entire season. He has more points 
with the Ottawa Senators than Matthew Shane has with Columbus right now. Like, that's not good. Like, the fact that they're outside of the standings right now, I mean, that whole team, a team that, you know, honestly, when you look on paper, it has so much potential for the future where it has, you know, Wierenski, Seth Jones, I mean, Dubois had a really good uh, year with them. And then all of a sudden you trade, I mean, I think they they only have one pick out of the next two uh, two drafts in their first three rounds. Like, you're mortgaging your future for going on this year when you probably weren't going to be the favorite even with those deals, and now all of a sudden it's all blowing up in your face. Like, I mean, that it's just brutal. Like, I, I don't think any team would want to go. I feel bad for them because I was listening to the Hockey News podcast the other day, and they were talking about this, and this was a good point because I think it's something that gets lost in the playoff stuff is that, like, this front office was never able to really gauge what this team ceiling was because of the playoff format and who they got matched up with and like not knowing if this team is capable mm-hmm. of making a deep run because of mm-hmm. how things are set up. So they're right. operating as like a team. They're like, I think we're good, but right. I don't know how good I don't, we got to just keep I'm- going and see what happens. But at the same time, we're kind of trapped in some ways and it's just, they haven't been able to really see it enough in the playoffs. And uh, I, I understand their situation. Like Columbus is in a really shitty situation and they've been in one and i i do feel bad for them because I, oh, yeah. I think I mean, we should we should want teams to do that especially in like the nhl where like a third of the league is like can we please not make the playoffs this year that'd be great thanks right exactly yeah and that, that's the thing is it gives players them for going for it and again as you said the format set up this way where i mean you get into the playoffs you know even if like the lightning are going to be viewed as a favor which i mean deservedly they are I mean, the NHL playoffs is a complete crapshoot. So, but again, it's tough, as you said, to gauge up against some of these teams when, I mean, you look at the Washington Capitals. They've won president's trophies and all this stuff over the last, you know, uh, half decade. They've been one of the best teams in the league during that run. Honestly, last year's probably like the least, you know, hype team you've seen in terms of what they rolled out and they end up winning the cup. Like they've had so many good teams that have been, you know, stopped in the second round running into Pittsburgh, which again, I think it was two years ago where I believe, no, it was when the Caps were the President's Trophy winner. I think Pittsburgh was two or three points behind them. Congrats on NHL. One of those two teams is out by the second round. Like I don't understand how anyone wants that. I don't understand how any you know ownership or you know anyone in the front office team looks forward to a matchup like that. Where you really can't gauge how far you can go unless there's you know one big elephant in the room this year, like you have with the Lightning. Like I don't really know what the GM was supposed to do there. I mean, the safe thing to do was you know just you know sell off Panarin and Bobrovsky and kind of reload, but Again, nothing's given in how it is in the NHL. And you see now where, you know, Tavares pick, packs up his bags and goes. Obviously, the Ottawa situation with Carlson, that's a whole other thing. That's just a complete dumpster fire in Ottawa. But, you know, props, I guess, to, you know, to the Blue Jackets for making those kind of deals. But, man, if they don't make the playoffs, like, holy crap. Like, that, that is a brutal development for that team. And it sucks, too, for a fan base that, you know, was generally excited when you get these guys. I mean, Matthew Shane's an exciting player. Ryan Zingle on pace for 30 goals. You got Panarin, who's one of the most electric guys, you know, a team that has never made it past the first round. You think the, you know, at the very least, they're looking at, you know, conference semifinals. And right now, getting outside of the playoff picture, I mean, uh, it, it just, it really sucks for them, man. Well, I know you got a red suit, so I wanted to make sure we touch on this as well. Uh, the Coyotes, team we have not talked about. They're, things are working for them. What are, they're in the playoff hunt still. They're hanging around. What What is working uh, for the Arizona Coyotes right now? Yeah, I mean, Arizona is one of those, you know, you look at this year, especially when you had so many surprising teams. I mean, as you said, with Carolina making the the run that they've had, Buffalo, who was, I mean, like the top seed in the entire NHL back in November, which was, you know, fun while it lasted, I guess. Uh, You know, you got Jordan Bennington and his run with the Blues and how they've really surged back. But 
Arizona, I mean, straight up has no business being in this run, which is a credit to, you know, the, the roster they have, Rick Tockett and what the job he's done. Because, I mean, you look at this team, they're 28th in the league in goals scored. I mean, this is a year in which you very well could have five or six or seven guys surpass 100 points. Nikita Kucherov has 121 points casually this year. And Arizona's leading scorer is Clayton Keller, who dynamic player, but he only has 46 points this year. So you look at kind of what they rely on. Uh, you know, they've got the best PK in the league. You've had veteran guys like Nicholas Hjalmarsson, uh, Brad Richardson, Michael Grabner, who's back from injury, Derek Stepan, who's back from injury. And that's kind of been the, the thing that's been most impressive with this Coyotes team is how many injuries they've had. I mean, you lose Derek Stepan for over a month. Michael Grabner has a freak eye injury, which, you know, you expect the usual upper body, lower body injuries over the course of a year. You don't expect Michael Grabner to almost lose his eye. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, you know, who was a great pickup for them. He's out for the year. Anthony Ranto, who they expected to be out for the year. He might be back by next week, they're saying. But, I mean, they've had to rely on Darcy Kemper to kind of keep them afloat. I mean, it's pretty much just a credit to the system they have in place there. They play disciplined hockey. Uh, you know, it's not the most exciting brand of hockey. You know, it's not like the Carolina Hurricanes who, you know, Rod Brindamore has them rushing up and down the ice, firing a, you know, 35, 40 shots on goal a night. You know, it's not the most, uh, you know, thrilling brand of hockey, you know, by any means. But he's installed a system that you know, keeps things close, keep things tight, keep things competitive. And, you know, they've been able to kind of squeak and get points out doing that. And they've hit a little bit of a rut right now, unfortunately. I think they've lost, you know, four out of five, I believe. And, Colorado's kind of surged back up now that Philip Grubauer is finally kind of proving his value and keeping Colorado afloat right now. But, you know, all the credit to, you know, the, the run that Arizona's had. I mean, they've got a good young team. And, you know, they've got, again, that kind of good mix of kind of veteran cast-offs like Jalmerson and, you know, Grabner and those guys with guys like Keller and Eichmann Larson. He's been there forever, but, you know, he's still a young player. I mean, they've got a kind of good core brewing there. And it's kind of encouraging to see a team like that really take that next step. And, Keeping competitive in a year when, when you look at I mean, talent level and injuries, they have no business being, uh, you know, this competitive this early. So they're definitely a fun team, you know, to watch out west. Okay, last thing, and then we'll go. It's a, it's a double, it's a two parter. All right, okay, there are two separate conferences. Um, who wins the first round series between Boston and Toronto, okay. and then who wins the Western Conference just in general? Because I've gone back and forth on this. I want it to be Calgary. I think just because mm-hmm. that'd be a fun story. Um, but I, I don't know. I've got, and then again, St. Louis for firing their coach early on in the season, then just going on this crazy run and just being this right. machine. That's also really weird. But um, yeah, uh, the, what, what are your answers to those two questions? Then we'll go. So I'll say I'm going to go with uh, Bruins win in six against Toronto. And then it just throws the Toronto media into a complete maelstrom. God, yeah, because- it's going to be brutal. I mean, if it imagine it, I just imagine if it's like five games, which I I don't think can happen. Like again, I think people are now now the Toronto. Well, their defense is a problem. Like that I defense mean, like, is not good. That's the thing is, I mean, Bruins are you know every time they've you know gone up against them, they've been able to expose them, and that top line is just gonna like I don't care if you know Morgan Riley's had a great year for them. Jake Muzzin, you know, they add him like they didn't add enough on that decor to solve the problems that Bruins are gonna exploit against them. I mean, you you saw last year where. Even guys like I me, mean, Dan Heinen was, you know, had a productive series. Jake DeBrusque really broke out against them. And in pretty much the same cast, if not better, this year. So I don't, you know, think there's any way that the Bruins are going to, you know, hit a wall offensive against Toronto. I think they're still going to get their points. As I said, you know, the Bruins defense is better than it was last year. I think they're better equipped. I think 
The addition of Brennan Kahlo, who's missed the last two years, is huge for this Bruins team, especially in the postseason when things really kind of grind to a halt and, you know, there's less ice to operate with. Um, so I say Bruins in six, but I think it wouldn't surprise me if it's shorter than that, which, again, my God, like the, the chaos that will ensue if it's not even a seven-game series. I think people are going to, like, flip out. So, But we'll see. We'll see if, uh, you know, game one, John Javaris has, you know, four points and maybe I'll change my mind. But that's my prediction for right now least for the Bruins series. And then, yeah, I mean, West is so many like interesting teams and there's a lot of fun teams out there that I, you know, I, I hope do well. Like I always have loved, uh, I was always a big Joe Thornton fan growing up. So I always have a special place in my hat for the, the shocks, but I mean, Martin Jones just get terrifies me in terms of, you know, I don't know how you can rely on a guy like that to get you through a playoff run. Um, and same with Calgary. Calgary is just a dynamic team and, you know, even as a, a BU alum myself, you know, I can't help but respect a guy like Johnny Goudreau and the run he's had. Um, but again, you look at their goaltending situation, still a little bit iffy. But again, if you have that much firepower, you know, usually you can kind of offset that. But I think the team that really impresses me right now, especially since the deadline, is Vegas. I mean, Vegas started off pretty slow. Uh, you know, they really kind of caught fire. And then adding a guy like Mark Stone, who, I mean, made such a huge impact on, you know, rounding out that top six. And they already had talented guys like, uh, you know, the Carlson line really driving that. But you add Mark Stone to a line with uh, Pacioretty and Staffney. I mean, they've been dynamic since they've added him. And not only is he a point-per-game guy, but he's one of the best, uh, you know, guys off the puck or, you know, in the neutral zone, you know, forcing turnovers. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Mark Stone as a winger is a, a, a selfie finals this year. I mean, he's that good of a player. And, Seems like everything's working right now. You know, they're a proven winner. I don't know if you can call a team that's only been around for one year a proven winner, but obviously they went through the gauntlet before. They've got a great coach, great roster. It wouldn't, you know, surprise me if they make another run. And all the to Vegas, I mean, they've done a good job building up that program, their fans. I was lucky enough to get to a Vegas Bruins game uh, back in February, and I've never seen, you know, a, a building that I expected to just be kind of all the glitz and glamour and the light shows. I mean, those fans are loud. Yeah. Uh, and they've got a really good thing brewing there. So that'd be really fun if Vegas went on another run and they've got the personnel to do it. Okay. I lied. I have one more thing. I have a question yeah, for go you, for it. Absolutely. Are you a cop? Am I? Nah. Nah. <laughs> You're not what? Huh? You're not what? I'm not a cop. You're not. Are you not a fucking cop? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Dude, I, I think it's like a, a rule that if you're a Bruins reporter, you have to have an exaggerated Boston accent. Oh, my God. So I've been sitting on I that. Tried. We have not talked. Just for the listener's perspective, I did not get a sense of Connor's accent before we started recording. Dude, and I just, I've been thinking I about tried, the Dude, <laughs> I, I try to reel it in as much as I can. And then when like, I just go off on a tangent, it just gets worse and worse. So I'm like dreading for like the, the upcoming postseason with being on more radio spots. Like I've got to reel it in, but... At first, I was like, I know this is definitely from a Boston movie, and I was just cycling through my head. I was like, is this Good Will Hunting? Is this the best? Jeez. Well, no, it is the it's... best Boston movie, in my opinion. Actually, you know what? No, it's still Gone Baby Gone, right? Like, it's Gone, Gone Baby Gone. Is, that's an, I mean, that's kind of like a dark horse. I mean, it's a great movie. I'm proud. Oh, my God. Can you say Dark Horse one more time? I absolutely will not. <laughs> I just totally regretted that as I went through it. I'm, I'm possibly, I'm possibly Goodwill Hunting, but okay. that's just me. But I think you can't go wrong with any of them, unless you're talking about like Fever Pitch. Like, I mean, those are the no, ones. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're sensible the people. Town, you have um, what was the the one um, Mystic River? There's all kinds of great stuff, man. 
I mean, you can't go. Yeah, I mean, other than you know, like, what are we talking about? Ted and Fever Pitch. Then I, other than that, Ted's I think good. No, Ted's good. Ted two, not great, but Ted, Ted is two an is enjoyable movie. Ted, Ted two, I would categorize as a pleasant surprise. I think no one right. went in with expectations, and then uh, you know they did a good job. Mark Wahlberg, whenever he plays like a dummy or uh, like a pissed off guy from Dorchester, it ends up working out for the movie. So they did okay. a good job casting there. There you go. Um, well. Connor is the guy that does his job. I must be the other fucking guy. Connor. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time, man. I, I really appreciate it. Let's talk again soon, Absolute, buddy. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, Remember, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we will be back another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.